you know, it's not just about transacting online. It's about creating an online offline experience that enhances the client experience while providing a high touch service offering. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook, presented by Details Interactive. Here, you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 81, and today's guest is Chad Stark. Chad is the CEO of Stark, co-founder of Ashley Stark Home and president of the House of Scalamandre. This is a great story about a family business that has thrived for years, built by two brothers who now serve as the board, and Chad and his cousin, Ashley, who bring complementary skill sets to the business. They've developed a trust in the group, and as you'll hear, they've established a well-thought-out roadmap for which to operate the business. Chad speaks to the freedom within a framework that creates the guardrails for the team. Before we get started, a quick thank you, as always, to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready, break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chad Stark. Chad is the CEO of Stark, co-founder of Ashley Stark Home, and president of the House of Scalamandre. As a third-generation design industry thought leader, Chad joined the company as director of web development after graduating from the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan in 2011. Named CEO of Stark in October of 2020, Chad's experience in the startup and digital worlds combined with his deep understanding of his family's venerable heritage brand have had a tremendous impact on the success of Stark. Today, Chad directs day-to-day operations for Stark and Scalamandre, focusing on innovative ways to improve both the employee and client experience while continuing to provide the highest level of service to professional interior designers. Chad's mission is to deliver world-class experiences to clients around the world. For Stark to be the most well-known luxury carpet and rug omnichannel brand, as well as a company that enriches the lives of the people it touches. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Well, it's nice to see you. It's uh, It's been a while. We were just talking about uh, how business is going, and uh, you seemed pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's it's been an interesting few years as in every industry, but especially in the home industry. And there was a lot of fear going into 2023 that the boom was coming to an end and it would start going the opposite direction. And, you know, we've done a lot over the last few years to try to be able to weather any storm that gets thrown our way and whether it's because of certain economic wins or our company, we're, we're faring just fine. So we're pretty excited about where we stand today. Well, that's uh, that's good news. And and again, thanks for doing the, the show with me. You know, one of the things that um, we we like to do uh, at the beginning, and I should mention uh, to, to our listeners that uh, you know we're recording this in early August of uh, 2023. Uh, these shows live on and you know you're talking about decent business i want them to uh, know that when they are listening to this in a year from now when this was actually recorded uh, i like to get to the first story you know kind of the thing the the background of the guest life that 
kind of suggested, or maybe it didn't, um, where you would wind up in in your career. So what about your upbringing? Where'd you grow up and and family life and uh, might have foretold what you'd be doing? So I grew up in uh, New Jersey, uh, born in New York City, grew up in New Jersey, uh, was always an entrepreneurial kid. You know, I was doing lemonade stands and my drive, making my dad drive me around the corner to tell everyone else to raise their prices so that way I could have the lowest prices on the block. Uh, and I was renting my videos to my sister, my VHS tapes, if anyone knows what those are anymore. Uh, obviously, I had to give the money back. So I always had this entrepreneurial spirit. And when I went to college uh, and at University of Michigan, at that point in my life, I really wanted nothing to do with my family business. I felt like I never wanted to live under the shadow of my father and my uncle, who really grew this business from a single store into a internationally recognized brand. Uh, and I tried to chart my own path. Like many entrepreneurs, I quickly learned how difficult that is and tried a few different startups. Most recently graduated and did one for two years that failed, which was a better learning experience than all of my classes combined. Uh, and at that point, I said, let's give it a shot working with my with my father and, and with my uncle and with my family. And, you know, it's been a great journey for the last 12 years or so since that decision was made. And I think the turning point for me was after a couple of years, uh, two things happened. One is I went to Nepal for the first time, which is where we make a lot of product. And I saw the communities that support our production. And I say communities because we're talking about third world countries where rug making and uh, is such a part of their life that it, it really is a community effort uh, and seeing the collaborative nature of uh, the creation of our product was uh, insightful for me and exciting for me. And I really fell in love with the product. And then shortly after that, I learned uh, through some coaching that while it might be my father and uncle's company then, today, uh, my legacy can be unique, even though it's with the same company. And I can really create my own legacy, even though the company was not mine originally. And I think when those two things clicked, it really changed my perspective on my role and and the opportunity for me as a leader. Uh, and I've never looked back. That's a, a good story. You know, um, when I uh, prep for these uh, shows, you know, I tend to use the bio that I get from the guest. I also use their LinkedIn profile. With you, not so easy to do. There wasn't much on that LinkedIn profile to uh, to garner. But I, I did come away with uh, what you were talking about, the, the entrepreneurial uh, spirit, uh, producing concerts and trying to make a buck uh, any which way you can. Um, so that that was a theme for you. Yeah, I loved my entrepreneurial experiences in college. I, I tried to start a T-shirt printing business in high school. Didn't really work, but didn't really fail. Then in college, it was a digital marketing company and an event production company, which as a college kid enabled me to become a DJ, which was really fun. Uh, and digital marketing helped sell tickets, which was kind of unique to the promotions back then. Uh, and so the, all of those were really great learning experiences and very much taught me what I didn't want to do more so than what I did want to do. Uh, and yeah, I think all of those experiences have contributed to the leader I am today. Uh, I'd say outside of just those experiences, and this is something you'll never see on my LinkedIn, you know, I, I'd say one of the most uh, influential people on in my life has been my sister uh, who has special needs and learning how to be a leader who leads with authenticity and empathy has really been a huge credit to her and, you know, the impact she's had on my life. 
that's nice. It's interesting. Um, you know, we we challenge our our young people. Uh, I've seen it in my my kids and their friends. We challenge them to, you know, define what they want to be so early in their life, and you know, they they have to choose what it is they want. And we forget that sometimes identifying what you don't want to do is just as important as deciding what you do want to do. And you are living proof of that. Yeah, I mean, you can try all you want, but until you do, uh, you really don't know. And that's kind of what I learned firsthand is, you know, the idea, I felt more in love with being an entrepreneur than solving a problem that real people were having. And I think that was my downfall as a founder, you know, not putting the client or the customer first is putting what I wanted to build for my life first. And, you know, working in my family business, which already had product market fit, it, it, allowed me to reposition how I think about evolving the business, really putting the client at the center of all decisions and taking this client first approach. Uh, and yeah, all of those different experiences, I think, helped shape who I am, which is still going to evolve, I'm sure. Well, you're a young guy, so you got a long way to go to uh, continue to uh, you know craft what Chad Stark is going to be. You know, we we talk a lot about you know successes and things that we learned from successes, but you know, I think you you do learn a lot from things that don't work out quite the way that you wanted. You talked about you know learning experiences from failures. Uh, what what did you take away from those failures that you've experienced? Well, the double down on kind of what I just said. You know, first, I think I actually we should make a distinction between a failure and a mistake, right? So a mistake is when you have the information that when you do something, you could have predicted the outcome. A failure is when there's no information and you're going after something new, something novel, charting a path for the first time. And as long as you learn, it's not a failure. It's not really a failure, at least. You know, that's what I think my startup experiences have taught me more than anything is that you can do all the analysis you want. You'll never know with certainty what the outcome will be, especially if you're trying new things. So fail fast, learn, iterate, uh, and try again. And there's no shame in being wrong. You know, I, I'd love to be wrong as long as we get the best result. Uh, and I think the humility around recognizing you're not going to have all the answers and the willingness to admit you're wrong and change approaches. Uh, I think that's kind of was one of the biggest lessons I learned as a would-be founder. Lay out for uh, listeners um, the scope of, you know, what is underneath your organizations, you know, the, the various companies, uh, how each of them are defined uh, from a customer perspective. Sure. So we have a few different business units, as we like to call them. Our primary one is called Start Carpet. We have uh about 20 showrooms, which is our main vehicle for distribution. We sell high-end carpets and rugs to primarily interior designers for high-end residential use. Um, you know, average order value of let's call it $7,000 for a rug. So it's not the everyday sale. Uh, and it's oftentimes when people are buying rugs of that price point, they're hiring an interior designer to do an entire house. And so that's our primary uh, client group is the interior designers through our Stark showroom network. Uh, another business unit we have is called Prestige Mills, which is a wholesale uh, carpet distribution, carpet and rug distribution company where we sell to about a thousand stores, Stark Carpet being the biggest of our wholesale customers. Um, we have Ashley Stark Home, which is a digital first direct consumer brand, uh, a little more lifestyle than Stark and Prestige. Stark and Prestige are focused on carpets and rugs exclusively. 
uh, versus Ashley Stark Home is a little bit more of accessories and other things in the house like dinnerware or faux flora or things like that. Uh, and finally, with Scalamandre, that is a joint venture we have, and our business partner is CEO, and I am the president. And that is a similar business to Stark through with showrooms selling to interior designers, except it's focused exclusively on textiles, wall covering, trim, and furniture. Uh, and so uh, Stark's identity is exclusively carpets and rugs. Scalamandre is the textiles, wall covering, furniture. Uh, and Ashley Stark Home is direct to consumer with prestige being wholesale to stores. And those are kind of the, the four business units that uh, we are involved in. The four legs in the stool. And and the Ashley Stark Home uh, business, that's relatively new, correct? Correct. Ashley Stark uh, is my first cousin. Uh, so her father and my father are brothers. They ran the business. Our gra My grandfather passed away in 1970 when uh, my father was... Uh, 19 and my uncle was 20, at which point is when they went in the business working with my grandmother. And um, as they grew the business, uh, Ashley joined in a full-time capacity before I did. Uh, and she is much more of a creative than I am. She's much more involved in product design and advertising strategy uh, than me. Uh, she also has been able to build quite the reputation for herself in the industry. Uh, Ashley Stark's Instagram has 1.3 million followers. And many regard her as one of the leading influencers in the home space at the high end. And so about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, uh, her and I decided to start a new brand uh, that leverages some of the strengths of our core businesses, uh, but has a different approach to uh, client acquisition, focused on digital distribution uh, and a wider distribution model uh, with homeowners and interior designers. Uh, and so that has been our newest venture, which has been one of the most educational things I've done at the company because building a digital first direct consumer business is very different than all of our other business units uh, with primarily traditional distribution through stores at a price point that is a little higher than what's currently selling for that category online with a service offering that's a little higher touch than what people are buying online. So her and I have been working at that for a while. Uh, and it's been a great experience, and we still think we have a lot of opportunity to grow uh, there, as well as all of our core businesses. But it's been it's been fun working on this new challenge. Yeah, that's where we first. Uh, one of the things we first were talking about when we met, uh, I guess, over a year ago. So it's nice to see that that uh, is progressing. But that is, in fact, very different. Uh, not so much maybe from a product perspective and a and an end consumer perspective, but the method of selling for that business is extraordinarily different than what you've done in the others, right? Absolutely. I mean, just sheer price point differences make a big difference in terms of the way to think about success and how we achieve success. I mean, with starcarpet.com, you know, we are getting more leads than we are transactions on the site because, you know, not even half of our showroom is online because so much of our business is custom and involves different labor components where it's really a, a, a lead generation tool for us versus Ashley Stark Home in the direct-to-consumer home space. There's a lot more competition. The, the client is a lot more savvy than they used to be. Price shopping is much more important. Uh, and the average order value is obviously less. And so you know, we want to be the company that figures out how to sell luxury product at scale online. You know, it's, it's, we don't want to participate in the race to the bottom. There's a lot of 
uh, marketplaces out there that try to sell less expensive products or, you know, brands that have built amazing businesses selling less expensive rugs. That's just not us. We're not going to win that game. And we need to know uh, what who we are and what we can compete in and, and where we're uniquely positioned and leveraging and staying focused on the high end and leveraging an omni-channel approach is really where we see a long-term differentiation. And how do you think about the uh, the traffic driving to a brand, you know, like that? It's, you know, it's uh, it's not mass. Uh, you can't just, uh, you know, blast out, you know, advertising. In my thinking, it's got to be much more prescriptive and specific as to, you know, where you go to drive that traffic. How, how have you been able to uh, to introduce people to that brand? It's been a challenge because uh, for a few reasons. One is just because we've learned just because 1.3 million follow million people follow Ashley Stark. It doesn't mean there's 1.3 million people who want to buy Ashley Stark products, especially at the luxury price point. Uh, and so one of our assumptions was we can really leverage that audience and it hasn't worked as well as we were hoping. There's been some successes, but a lot more learnings. And the other difference between us and maybe someone else starting just a direct consumer brand is we do have the core Stark carpet brand and funnel to leverage. And with over 7,000 active interior designers, with over you know, I don't know 30, 40,000 website visits where 98% are coming from organic traffic because the brand's been around for 85 years, you know, those have been uh, leveraging all of that brand equity to educate the market around what is Ashley Stark Home all about and why is it and how is it different than our core offering. That's been our most successful channel. We've, you know, seen some success with paid ads. You know, we've definitely engaged the social community, but really where we've seen the most success is showcasing a wider and more diverse assortment to our existing clients. Uh, and, you know, all of the product on, or at least all of the carpets and rugs for Ashley Stark Home are available through our showrooms. And that's been a huge success for us as well. And so again, it's it's been interesting when we think about how do we bring in new consumers and new interior designers just straight to Ashley Stark Home. We're still ex very much experimenting with that, um, but we're learning from all of the opportunities that have come available from Stark Carpet and our core business, and trying to figure out what's the best way to navigate the two and. And what's the best way to drive net new sales versus just transferring from one brand to the other? Uh, that's kind of where we're at today. The devil's in the details. You probably have heard that phrase time and time again in your professional life. Projects get started with great intentions, but you no longer have the time to pay attention to the little things that could make the difference between success and failure. At Details Interactive, you can discuss your business with a seasoned direct-to-consumer marketing executive who's helped launch and grow web businesses and integrate multi-channel marketing initiatives. Learn more at detailsinteractive.com. Let's talk uh, a little bit about family. So family business, you know, there's lots of great stories of family businesses being highly successful, really um, leveraging the knowledge um, of, of generations. And there's other stories of, of family businesses being, you know, much more challenging. Sometimes um, they're not successful. Um, how have you navigated, you know, the legacy of your your dad and your uncle and, um, and, you know, and working, you know, closely with the first cousin and, and others. It's been fun. 
I think that we're lucky for a few reasons. One is it's just my cousin and I in the business full time as the third generation. I, you know, there are many businesses in the the trade only industry, so to speak, for home that are family businesses with many more family members in it. And I can only imagine how complicated that can get. Uh, so there's only two of us. We have very different interests and skill sets, and we work really well together in terms of, you know, I like to say Ashley shapes and colors and I'm numbers. And so it works really well in that sense. And, you know, our fathers built an extremely successful business over 50 years, having, you know, consistent growth pretty much from the time they joined the business, maybe up until, you know, 2008, uh, when the business changed forever. And uh, really, how have we been able to grow as the third generation? It starts by building trust, right? And that's not so different from non-family businesses. And all leaders want to have trust in the teams under them. And over time, I think we've built more trust uh, and really leveraging this idea of a freedom within a framework. And so my job as the CEO now is to coordinate with all the different components of the business, uh, what our plans are, put those into a financial projection. And my father and uncle who have scaled back more since COVID hit and now are really more operating like the board than they used to, you know, we present to them a financial framework. Uh, we discuss strategies and of course want to leverage the 50 years of experience that they have because it is a huge asset to our company. And uh, essentially, as long as we're staying within the framework that we've set, we have a lot of freedom. And now uh, we've also built that trust by showing a good judge of when to ask for help. So, you know, when we're buying a company, let's get their advice. Or, you know, if we're going to sign a long-term lease uh, or even a short-term lease, let's make sure we get their advice. Even though those things might fall within the framework, showing that we value the perspective they bring, I think has helped build that trust. And the combination of trust and a framework within which we stay between has allowed us to you know, grow the business and invest in the business more so at a pace that we think is is needed. Yeah, I like the, uh, the trust and the framework. It sounds like there's this roadmap that you guys uh, navigate the business uh, within. And uh, as long as you stay within you know, those lanes, um, you know, it seems to work, um, you know, really well. So that's, uh, that, that's great. But that all said, there's gotta be some things that keep you awake at night. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. I think that's the the quote, right? The Mike Tyson quote. And yeah, I'd say the scariest part is, um, you know, the speed at which the world and the industry and technology is changing is vastly disrupting traditional industries is, you know, giving new competitors who are much more agile and tech first advantages in the marketplace and allowing many to achieve scale at a pace that was never possible before. And so I'd say the biggest thing that keeps me up at night relates to our over 600 team members and the trust that they've put in me and our family to navigate the changing world in a way that allows us to continue to provide for them who in turn provide for their families. You know, over 600 families rely on our company's continued success. Many of our team members have been there 30 plus years, whereas there's a whole new crop who've been there, you know, under five years. And having such a diverse uh, base of team members who are, again, all looking for this company for financial stability, 
you know, it is a big responsibility to make the right decisions in the right timeline, because what got us here is not going to get us to the next point. And the moats that we had surrounding our company and uh, keeping us in a an industry leading position are changing. And of course, we need to look internally and say, how do we continue to have some of the same strategic competitive advantages as we've had in the past in the future, but the way that we create those barriers is now different. And so, uh, you know, balancing the long-term needs of the business with the short-term needs has always been a challenge. And I'd say, you know, making the wrong decisions about long-term investments or misjudging the ROI of different projects and straining cash, which all could, in theory, lead to you know, an inability to take care of those who have helped grow this company for, for decades, I'd say that's probably my biggest fear. And the thing that keeps me up at night, fortunately, we've shown uh, on numerous occasions an ability to overcome that adversity. And, you know, for example, getting through COVID, which obviously there were some tailwinds that helped our industry overall. So I'm not going to take credit for some of the success the company's had. But, uh, you know, we obviously had to make some tough decisions because we didn't know what was going to happen. And we fast forward 12 months, you know, our culture score had never been stronger. Uh, and so it's been a fun journey, but that's kind of where I can stay up at night sometimes is knowing that, you know, the decisions I make have an impact on so many people's lives. You know, at, when you made your decision to um, you know, move into the business. Um, you know, you had some, I'm, I'm sure, some thoughts of how it was going to go. Um, are there some things that kind of stand out for you that were a lot harder for you to um, kind of grasp within the business than you thought they that they would be? Yeah, of course. I mean, change management is. I've gotten a PhD in change management over the last 12 years because we've had more change in the last 12 years than probably the previous 40. So that's been always a fun journey, but I'd say the biggest business challenge that I'm, we're still working on trying to crack is e-commerce and just leveraging the internet to drive value to our business. And the reason I say leveraging the internet to drive value is, you know, it's not just about transacting online. It's about creating an online offline experience that enhances the client experience while providing a high touch service offering. That has been much harder to crack than we expected, you know, in part, there have been some technology limitations in terms of our capabilities, which we've now overcome. And finally, I'm feeling like we're, you know, really in a good position as it relates to the teams and the the, the tools that we have from a technology perspective. But we've gone through, you know, probably this, this is our fourth iteration of a website for StarCarpet.com, uh, where the first three we did not hit our goals, and they probably weren't even the right goals. Uh, and so just really understanding. Who is our core client? How do we best serve them online? How do we create a, a differentiated value proposition online and in store versus trying to bring our store online? You know, that's where we failed in the past is we try to do create the same experience online and offline. And what we've learned is different people want different experiences and they shop in different places and narrowing the scope of what we're trying to do online has been a great first step, but figuring out online and how to make our website as valuable, as valuable as possible has been a harder challenge than I ever anticipated. Well, that's, uh, keeps you hungry, uh, to keep learning and, uh, and, and, and keep improving. So, uh, good stuff. I'm glad that you guys are, uh, having good success and that you're enjoying, uh, the work. 
We are down to the end of the show. Um, we do this uh, two-minute drill, seven questions, one-word answer. Are you ready? Yes. I'll keep it to one word. All right. Well, nobody does keep it to one word. I say that, but everybody just does whatever they want. You know, I'm just the host of the podcast. Classic CEOs. <laughs> A brand that you admire or that inspires you? Restoration hardware. Favorite app on your phone? I'm going to go off script. There's two. One is Headspace, which is for a meditation app. I really enjoy that. Uh, and the other is Whoop, which is a app uh, partnered with a fitness band, which helps me track my sleep and track my physical activity. And it's very, it's an analytics to your health. And so you can't say the app without the hardware that it comes with it, but those are my two favorite apps. I, I need that sleep one because I, I actually I'd be scared to see what it would say, um, but I could use that one. Uh, last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? There's a brand where they sell some different type of sleep, uh, like a sleep uh, eye masks and stuff called Manta. And I think the newest one was not on Amazon. So I think I bought that on their website, but Amazon has a lot of stuff. Okay. Something that you're not good at, but wish that you were. Remaining present uh, when I'm becoming emotional in my replies, you know, active listening is something I've been working on and remaining present is definitely something I wish I was better at. Charitable organization that you're passionate about. It's called FACES, which stands for Finding a Cure for Epilepsy and Seizures. It's a organization out of NYU. Dr. Oren Davinsky is one of the lead neurologists in the world, and he is a with a focus on epilepsy. My sister has epilepsy and seizures, and it's an organization my family's been very involved in for a very long time. Outstanding. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Predict the future. <laughs> okay, I'll take that one. And last one, other than family, what's your most prized possession? I, my family businesses, I have to say, is my most prized possession. I mean, it's, it's, it's an honor to be able to lead such a, a passionate, hardworking group of people who some of whom have been working longer than me. And I'd say, you know, I wouldn't give that up for the world. Well, uh, it's a good story. You know, I, I did not know your, your business uh, before we got connected, uh, like I said, over a year ago, and I've enjoyed learning uh, a bit about it. You're a good representative uh, of your business. So uh, congratulations on what you guys have accomplished. Thanks so much for spending the time uh, with us today. Really appreciate it. And nice to see you, Chad. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for inviting me on and I uh, appreciate it. And best of luck. All right. Thanks very much. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Chad Stark for coming on the marketing playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, be a leader that offers authenticity and empathy. You heard how seriously Chad takes his obligation to the 600 families that rely on the success of his business. Have empathy for the people who work for you, as well as the people that are your customers. Understand what their needs are and do the best that you can to support them. And number two, learn from your failures. Chad described his view of the difference between a mistake and a failure. A mistake is when you have the information and you could have predicted the outcome. A failure is when you had no information, you're charting a new path. So long as you can learn from both the mistakes and the failures, you can turn them both into something that is valuable. There is no shame in being wrong. And number three, every business needs a roadmap. You need one for your personal life as well. In the case of Stark, we heard about the freedom within a framework. Identify the goals that you have and chart a path that will get you there. It could be adding to your education. It could be developing a new product. 
It could be getting a new job, but establish a plan, learn to deviate from it as necessary, and you'll have a better chance of achieving your goals. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, the devil is in the details. Thank you.